You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today, John Harris and I will be speaking with two truly interesting street photographers, Gus Powell and Amy Touchette, on the topic of collaborating with chance, i.e. the role that luck, chance, and happenstance play in street photography and photography in general. If you've wandered the streets with a camera, you already understand the dynamics that go into the process. You have to be alert, and you have to be in the moment because a moment is often all you have. Before we proceed with today's show, a reminder to tweet us at BHPhotoVideo with hashtag BHPhotoPodcast and rate us on iTunes. We love doing the show, and your feedback helps us to make it that much better. Back to the show. Gus Powell is a street photographer and the author of two wonderful photo books, The Lonely Ones and The Company of Strangers. He's also a member of In Public and a teacher at the Graduate School of the School of Visual Arts, which I am an alumnus of. Amy Touchette is also a street photographer and fine art photographer and the author of Shoot the Arrow, a portrait of the world-famous Bob, which was published by the Unjive Press. Amy also writes an ongoing series of articles about street photography for the tutorial website Envato Tuts Plus, which I enjoy reading, by the way. Welcome to both of you. Um, let's start off with uh, uh, you, Amy. Tell us about your work, how you got started. How, one thing I'm curious about for both of you, actually, how did you get into photography? Basically, I, you know, had a past career in publishing, and um, I went from writer to editor to managing editor and found myself, you know, with 10 editors under me in an office. And I wasn't a very good manager and um, didn't really like the office situation, but I was older, and that was what my resume was behind me, and I was just going for it. And then September 11th happened, and I was living in the West Village, and um, it just scared me to my core. So I made it my mission to figure out what I should be doing. I put aside my resume. I put aside the time and money I spent on my um, education and I put aside any thoughts of intimidation that I would have uh, about starting a new career. And within a month, I enrolled in Photo One at ICP with Jeff Mermelstein. Like, literally, I had cameras, but I didn't know what an F-stop was or what it meant. And um, just took it step by step and, you know, went Photo One, Photo Two, Photo Three, some creative classes, documentary classes, lighting classes, classes on presenting your work networking. If a photographer I liked came in um, to teach, like Mary Ellen Mark or Andrea Modica, I would take their class. Then I started teeing there. And, you know, it's really just been this like beautiful, very um, gradual incline, you know, just the most beautiful relationship with this medium. Um, Can I ask what, what at, at that decision point where you, before you took the classes and how did you kind of choose, how did the the transition and, and the moment of fear and the, the reevaluation turn into photography when you already had painting and, and I'm sure writing and, and other artistic uh, outlets. Yeah, because I, I thought about that too. Okay, do I want to be a writer who works uh -huh. at home? Um, do I want to be a painter? Um, and my answer was no. Like, they're extremely lonely mm. um, undertakings. 
And I was always looking out in the street, always fascinated by the people of New York specifically. I lived in San Francisco before that, Washington, D.C. before that. I was raised outside of Syracuse. And it wasn't until I came to New York that I saw the, just my love for people, just all of our shapes and sizes and mm -hmm. various circumstances just inspired me to no end. And mm. I can almost still like not really articulate why, what it is that's so inspiring about that, except that maybe it's life affirming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, that's what September 11th scared into me like who are my fellow people and I want to connect with them mm -hmm. and being at home in front of a computer or a typewriter or a canvas wouldn't do that mm -hmm. and you know it's just being a street photographer is amazing because you're totally alone but completely surrounded <laughs> by people so you're not alone at all you know, it didn't feel like working at all. And yeah. that's when you know it's right. It's not working. This is like a lifestyle. And what uh, when you first kind of made that break and, and put yourself into that world, um, well, there's so many questions I'm, I'm sure to ask, but what was the camera you were using at that at that point? Did it matter? or? It mattered because yeah. I had one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like in my yeah. drawer. It was a Canon AE-1. Just a, a 35 millimeter. Yeah, yeah, straight up. You know, it was before digital mm -hmm. really came in, just before, actually. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, and then, of course, I wanted a nicer camera, and eventually I got my Leica. And but you were comfortable with the camera itself and, and shooting at that point, or not even... I was just beginning, yeah. you know, and Jeff Mermelstein was teaching me how to burn and dodge. Yeah. It was amazing, you know, and I yeah. knew I deliberately took his class because the streets were what interested me. Yeah. And so that's what I did, you know, for photo one. I just went out in the streets and photographed people who interested me. Well, I love that your response to 9-11 and those feelings was not to turn in. But to step out, you know, and to see and just the immediacy of photography, to see something, to feel something is also having had backgrounds in publishing, having had interests in painting and, and working with other materials, the, the immediacy of photography and the immediacy of seeing something on the street, responding to it, to it, smiling at it, either right there with your face or just with your body by pressing that button. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it was something that happened across New York. Two people looked at each other a little Absolutely. bit longer. And, and it was almost that sort of act of looking and then you went even farther with it and saying that I'm now going to have the camera and it's going to be. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to learn how to gain someone's trust with a camera. I thought that would be really fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot, of, a lot of your posts about that, about you're encountering people and you both go out into the streets and uh, your whole thing with like photography during lunch. That's what I do here. Mm -hmm. I shot commercially for many years, but now it's part of my routine. I would go out with the camera during lunch or if I need to just get away from the computer for a while from writing. And I find it very intimidating to confront people, to approach them, yet I find uh, the way you guys are approaching people to be just very refreshing. And it's like, I don't know if I have it in me to do that. It, it takes a lot. I really have to, again, that eyeball to eyeball thing. Sometimes you get a good sense of it. But I also get the sense from both of you that you just, especially with your work, uh, Amy, that you're really going over to people who are just strangers. And I read a lot about the way you dress, the way you approach people, that whole thing. And that's a huge dynamic. That's a pretty amazing process. Yeah, you say a lot with your presence yeah. that you can't utter. You don't, either don't have the time to utter or the space or 
the opportunity. So I feel like you do have to come. I mean, that's why your mood matters. You know, anything that you can show people um, with your appearance is you have really to establish helpful. Trust immediately. Yeah, and you could almost establish trust silently. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think, for example, you know, being a woman can be really helpful on the street because I'm just not a big, tall, domineering person with a deep voice or, you know, I like to smile a lot. And Maybe, I assume you're you not know. wearing sunglasses. You know, I do, but I always take them off. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love my sunglasses. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. But, but establishing report, you can't do that with sunglasses. That's that's true. That's true. You really, I've never you worn really sunglasses. For, I mean, it's funny. I just started recently... But not when I shoot. It's such a. It is a really specific thing, and also right. the, the clothes and the wardrobe thing. The whole thing. They're very. I am a big, tall guy with you know a relatively deep voice. Um, <laughs> but deep. but I try to find my ways to be unintimidating as well. But it's very different what, strategies. Can, I mean, yeah, do you, you elaborate have, you have on to that work a little with bit? What you have. Well, I mean, a big a big thing for me. I'm I'm less. Uh, you know. Just the very fact, Alan, that you chose to say that you don't want to be confrontational means that you think it is a confrontation, confrontation sure. and it's not yeah. right. for, for Amy or for, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I think it's not. I, mean, I had the same thought. So it's literally the, if, it, and you know, we're doing our job, that's why we're here and we're approaching something that we are attracted to for some reason, I think. I mean, I, I feel that affinity. So revealing that attraction and that positive energy, even from 12 feet away, six feet away, 25 feet away, it. People get it. You know, we're all animals. They can smell when somebody's doing something that maybe they think is confrontational, or they can smell when you think you're maybe doing something that's a little bit wrong. Oh, you know, yeah. and again, it depends on what the type, the types of pictures that you make. I mean, so often I'm making pictures where there's no central protagonist. It's mm -hmm. it's a collection of six or seven people. One of them might give me the eye right afterwards. And then I have my strategies of diffusion of sort of looking at one of the other ones who isn't looking at right. me and sort of using my body language to communicate. That's who I was interested in, not you. And that's my sneaky game. A, a lot of your <laughs> images are also, it, it, I, I, I don't like using the word over, over again, but cinematic in a sense where they're sort of frames of, of a scene that's going on. Um, and yeah, once in a while there is somebody making eye contact with you and there's a whole thing going on here. But, but Amy, your work is very one-on-one. -on -one. You are looking at the people. It's very two different styles mm -hmm. here. So I guess the approach is a little bit different. And I don't know, for me, I just get crazy when I see somebody aiming a camera at me. It's like, okay, what's your motive? Mm -hmm. But that's because I was a photographer for so long. So. Sure. <laughs> You're couple, suspicious. A couple things. You'd mentioned it, it's our job. Uh, do you feel it's your job or do you feel... It's your well, passion, I, your love. I mean, and there I, are, sometimes I it is a word, job. I use that word in like in too big a way. I mean, it's it's just who I am. It's what I do. It's what you are. I mean, yeah. so, you know, to say it's my job, I, you know, and that comes actually from a, a time when I, I went to a talk that uh, Thomas Roma gave. Mm -hmm. And there was a younger photographer who was pretty much asking the question that is always asked, like, how do you do this? How do yeah. you go up to these people and make these pictures? And how do you get so close? Mm -hmm. And he, you know, and Tom Roma's great. Right. Just, it's my job. It's yeah. my job. Yeah. That's why I do it. Don't you do your job? Yeah. But I also, I mean, I do it to learn how to handle that situation. Yeah. That's why I'm out there. I'm not out there not to be in the mix. Mm -hmm. So if someone's upset, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, I want to learn how to diffuse that situation among the variety of humans mm -hmm. that exist and the various mindsets we're in at, at various times. That's why photography is so edifying mm -hmm. and beautiful and it does feel more worthwhile than throwing paint on canvas because it's very it's very much about reality 
mm-hmm. of, of everyday living, yeah, very makes, direct. Mixing it up, yeah. I want to just a couple things, get a little bit back to the job thing because I, uh, when, when you're forced to explain what you're doing, when it is for a job, somehow it's a little easier. Maybe, oh, for maybe sure. not for, for you or for the other person, but when you try to explain, well, this is my craft, it's my love, it's my passion, I love this whole thing, lots of times people are going to give you that look like, uh, you know, I don't care or that doesn't make sense to me, go away. Uh, but when you say, well, I'm working for such and such and this is my job, people, they understand it a little bit easier. That can be worse, though. That can also be because then they're like, what publication? You get rights. Exactly. So I feel like when I present, when I'm on the street and people ask me, I always let them know, like, I'm footing this bill. Mm -hmm. This is my project. And I feel like usually that works in my favor. Yeah. Yeah, And to go back, I never, you know, I never say on the street, I'm doing this because it's my job. It's more just, it's it's, it's like, it's just the psychological armor to say, like, I'm an artist. I'm trying to see something. I'm trying to feel something. I'm trying to press this button. I'm trying to say yes to something that I believe in, Mm -hmm. whether it's a piece of paper or 12 people, you know, crisscrossing, whatever it is, and just being positive. And it's that, it's a little bit of the mantra in the mirror kind of thing. I like that line to say, yeah, I'm trying to say yes to something. That's a great line. I love that too. Well, that's what I feel like every time you press the button, you know, you're saying yes mm-hmm, to something. Mm-hmm. That's the idea that you know that you believe in it enough to sort of. That's it. There just it is. Point your finger at it. Can you I know, go, just you, we were talking a bit about um, diffusing a potential situation or how you explain things, or even how you uh, you may look to this person when you were taking a picture of this person. Do you ever feel, and maybe this is a strong word, but kind of ashamed of of the the tricks that we may use or, <laughs> or the the ways that we 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 get away from that possible con- confrontation? I don't, no. you know, and, uh, and 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 if I start to, then I'm probably not going to be taking the pictures. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't I don't let myself go into that, cross that line, and to be that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not someone who works that close and is that aggressive. Um, and if I start to feel like I might be doing something that doesn't feel right, then I'm, you'll bail. I'm just not doing it. Mm-hmm. But but obviously, I'm willing to do more than other people are willing to do. It's right. Everybody has their sort of. Yeah. I sometimes feel funny if I put on a little charade, mm. I have to admit. Because yeah. it's like, why can't I discuss this? Mm-hmm. It's just a camera. Yeah, It's just, a, you know, and as we were talking earlier, you know, I really, I don't like to portray people who are down and out or in an unfair moment. And so I, I you know, there's really nothing going on here in this situation, at least that I can see, that we're in anyone's doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So why am I, why can't I just discuss this? Mm -hmm. And instead I look off into the sky or, you know, so when I resort to those methods, sometimes it's out of safety Mm -hmm. because you just sense I got to get out of here. Like, or just, I don't want to engage for some reason. Mm -hmm. I can tell it's better for me to disengage. And so I feel like those charades are, you know, super helpful and important and it's like, you need them. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm just taking an easy way out, yeah. and I don't, that's, I don't, that's I don't like to think at. about that. I think shame that. was a bit strong word, yeah. but yeah, that's exactly what I was kind of getting at. Yeah, and I think for myself too, it's I often hate it if there's a moment when I don't, I'm not up for pushing that extra amount. I see the potential for a picture that I would really appreciate trying to make and would like to have, but mm-hmm. I'm not willing to to cross that line because part, you know, that other gland in me is saying, <laughs> you know what, that's not you. You're not that. Totally. One, and we have know. those conversations with ourselves all the time outside, right? Oh, yeah. No, like, like oh, do I that's, press or there's not? something there. Like, well, if I get there and I, I, I know that I'm going to be discovered and I'm going to get the stink eye and we'll see where that goes <laughs> from there. <laughs> yeah. And am I, am I ready to, 
you know, to mm-hmm. either do the charades, have the conversation, right. run for run it, away. whatever yeah. it is. You know, I mean, I've never run away from anything, but, uh, right. and but that, it's uh, like, am I going to pretend to be a Dutch tourist or am I going to be, <laughs> or am I going to be the, the beat? Oh, that's why my tall guy. I just, I got, yeah, he has yeah. the longest legs. Yeah, I just, I got my big They're Dutch like the size of me. Yeah, yeah, my wooden yeah, shoes yeah. I go and shoot in. It's like, you know. Speaking about Dutch shoes and walking around Manhattan, <laughs> do, both of you photograph here in Manhattan a lot in the city, and you also have photographed elsewhere. Do you find a different dynamic of people outside of the five boroughs, or is it pretty much the same? For mm. me, it's pretty much the same. Okay. I mean, there are certain age groups that I could make some more generalizations about, um, meaning like teenagers are usually quite willing to be photographed, mm. which is one of the reasons I like to photograph them, because... <laughs> mm-hmm. They're there for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Helen Levitt said about the kids in the street too. She didn't there. even like kids, but but <laughs> right, that's who was out playing right. on the street. Right. Right. right? Okay, then there you go. Right? Don't <laughs> photography is about access, right? Um, but I would say most most of like you know it's mostly like seventy five percent of the people are cool with me photographing them, whether I'm in Vietnam or Italy or China or the American South or in the boroughs. So. That's been kind of interesting to discover and and kind of nice about humans, you know, that we share we share something. And I think that says we share something. Are you able to when you when you are traveling, are you able to shed the the tourist in you and, and bring the same approach to your photography just, there as you would? In, I just embrace in my tourism, you know, mm-hmm. I just don't hide it. I think that that really helps on the street is to just like really be who you are and like that's why Do you feel like a tourist in Brooklyn? No. Not at all. But you know, it's kind of an interesting question. Because I think, yeah, I can feel like a tourist in certain neighborhoods Mm -hmm. because I am. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, but my I mean, I can feel like a tourist around the corner from where I live sometimes, too. Yeah, I I get your point. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. There's a lot of different cultures in in, in Brooklyn alone that you go from. You walk three blocks, it's a whole other planet. So it has to be a little bit of a difference. Yeah, but I guess I get used to that feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm usually someplace I don't belong. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you know. And that's. I mean, that's What's why so we're awesome photographers and why, why, we the, why go there. the work is so interesting. I mean, I one, I definitely embrace being a tourist everywhere I am, whether it's my block or even in my own home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you um, put on your wooden shoes. Yeah, whatever it is. Like, <laughs> who are these three women I live with? It's like, oh, there's two small ones and that. Anyway. But, um, so, so there's that. So there's that thing of approaching the world like it's just right there and trying to make sense of it and seeing it. Uh, recently, I've had this kind of obsession that I feel like part of what I'm interested in is, is the plasma of life. So mm-hmm. it's and that's even sort of my justification or how I work sometimes. You know, I, I took a picture of eight people. Like, yeah, one of them might turn to me and say, "Did you take my picture?" It's, I took your picture, but I really took a picture of all of this. It mm-hmm. wasn't about you. Right. If I wanted a picture of you looking at me. I would come up to you and ask you, but I'm not interested in that. I'm, that in, I'm interested in the space between you, yeah. you know. And then again, this is when I say sometimes I go Dutch tourist. This is more like beatnik, like you know, yeah. you're here and I'm here, and <laughs> it's like our time and right. our space. And, that's beautiful. Gus. Well, sometimes yeah. they think it's beautiful, and then sometimes yeah, they just walk away. Like that's great. Right, that's you know. a good tactic. I'm too, though, right? I'm too old now to like pretend I'm an art student, you know. And, and yeah. whatever. That used to be my thing. Oh, it worked oh, all the time. Oh yeah, I oh, can't it's a do school it anymore. Project. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. No. You know. But then to talk about. <laughs> how things change in different places. I, one, in terms of just first talking about New York, uh, I mean, Manhattan, I'm a native New Yorker, so there's another side of me that feels like I, the, the practice of street photography itself is like a local indigenous handicraft a, yeah, that I do because sure. that's like where I'm from. If yeah. I was from the Ketchkar Mountains, I would knit socks, but I'm here. <laughs> so I make pictures on the street. 
but Manhattan is so over, uh, you know, it's always been populated with, by many tourists and people from so many different places that to a certain extent from that plasma discussion, it belongs to whoever's there. I mean, that's what's exciting about New York, that there are native New Yorkers like myself, but what makes New York keep happening is new people arrive, regenerate it, contribute to it, and it keeps going. And Manhattan, you know, for better and for worse, I think uh, molecularly like has that quality. When you start to go to other neighborhoods, I think there is more, even a place like the Upper East Side or even, you know, the village or, uh, you know, and then you get into Brooklyn and Queens and Main Street and all these other things. There is a there are these micro-regional identities within those places that have fewer tourists mm -hmm. in them. You know, so I've been photoing a, a lot and photographing a lot in downtown Brooklyn. There's not that many people doing what we do there. You know, there's not that many tourists. I did a workshop and I took all these students out to Main Street and Flushing, and there was like no tourists. And it was such an unusual experience to be out there making pictures. Nobody really cared, but, but there is this sense of... Uh, really feeling like a tourist there. And also the relationship between the, the subjects that you're, whether they think that you are somehow a participant observer or if you're just visiting. Well, you, you go know? downstairs to the corner with a camera, nobody's gonna look at you, but you go to Flushing, Queens, or to Main Street, and you start working with a camera, you're gonna stand out. It's yeah. a totally different yeah. situation. And there. also the subjects will, you know, here, nobody really cares. I mean, again, like you really, anywhere in Manhattan or in so many places, you know, depends where you photograph, you can kind of have the veil of, I'm just looking at these things that belong yeah. to everybody. You know, I'm here, you're here, whatever. But if you're going to another place that is a destination, it's like, why are you here? Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Why have you been here for so long on this corner? taking all these pictures of people coming in and out of the bank, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> like, yeah. or whatever, you know, so it's, uh, it's the sense of place, you know, and, and I think in some ways, this is maybe a difference between the two of us. I, I love people. I love the faces of New York. I'm, I love the people in my pictures. I love that I force them into relationships, you know, by making these photographs. Um, but it, often the baseline for me is usually that place. There's a spot that I kind of own, you know, and in, I mm -hmm. think in many ways for you, it's, it starts with, the person, the being, person, you know, mm -hmm. and then it's making it work in a space. Or, yeah. What about gear? Do, I, do <laughs> either one of you find certain cameras more more transparent for what you're trying to do? I know you work with a phone and a Rolleiflex, and I've read discussion with you with film or digital. And you have digital with you today. Um, which cameras work better for your styles? Which ones are more? Well, I like to say more transparent between you and what you're doing. I don't think I could express it in those terms, but I could say that I really like candid street photography and my iPhone is just the perfect piece of equipment to achieve that. But I also really appreciate having a conversation with someone, a stranger, and making a portrait with them, sort of collaborating in that way. And so that's why I take my Rolleiflex along. And, you know, I really think the Rolleiflex sets um, an atmosphere for that just by having it around my sure. neck. I first of all get a lot of people as I walk around the street will just comment on my camera, which I view as an invitation to make their portrait. That's so right. I'm always yeah, like, yeah. let's talk, you know. Yeah. Um, and those, you know, I like both Bring of those it. experiences very much being, you know, very direct one on one having these conversations. You know, I'm a photographer. I make portraits of people on the street. Can I take your picture? And then there are all the moments that are just so beautiful that belong in the candid hmm. genre that, you know, you just have to get. And I just don't think the Rolleiflex can do that. And also, you know, there are some communities that are notoriously camera shy. And if it weren't for my iPhone, you know, the 
beautiful older Polish population in Greenpoint are very camera shy, and I know that because I've asked them for their portraits, and they say no each time. And so if it weren't for my iPhone and me, quite frankly, sneaking their photo, then Mm. I wouldn't have all those images, and I just need those images. Is it it easier to sneak it with an iPhone? I mean, I think so. Than than, let's say a a point and shoot or or just a small, for you it is. I think so. I also always have my phone. I I feel very awkward with the phone. It's awful. It's probably like ruining my hands. I agree. Uh, Like it's ergonomically, it's just like, I don't even, you know, um, but I just always have it on me and it's just really fun to take candids all day, even if I've been running to the cleaners, you know, and I haven't had proper photography time to at the end of the day, be on my phone and look at my images and what's the dailies, right? The dailies. Yeah. And and in general, do you, do you shoot as you walk through the street on on the way to someplace? I do. It's always been, uh, I've never been a, you know, a capital P project type Mm -hmm. person. Like I'm going to go out and focus on fifth Avenue between this and that, or I'm going to go to this. It's never been, it's always been to a fault, uh, in some ways, very passive. So yeah. it's like the whole body of lunch pictures that mm-hmm. always, you know, the location of that was completely determined by where my job was and where I lived right. and where I was running errands. Mm-hmm. It, and there was no other guiding principle other than that. And that I wanted to make the most of whatever presented itself in the pockets of time that were available mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because New York is so generous and because I was so open hearted, many things were seen mm-hmm. and found, you know, and, and that is the gift, you know, but, um, the, uh, what was the original, it was, what was the, do I go? It, yeah. It was more about, do you incorporate into your day to day? Oh yeah. So yeah. it's, I mean, the camera's always there yeah. with me. I mean, yeah. a lot of days it's just, you know, putting on miles, you yeah. know, um, but, and, and, it, and, you know, and I'll, it gets looked through every mm-hmm. day, you know, and not necessarily, the button doesn't necessarily get pressed, you know, right. and it's funny. And, and I have sort of, uh, a love-hate relationship with the iPhone too. And even like I was late to Instagram and I still don't necessarily participate in it fully on in part because of the type of photographer I am. Why would I use my phone when I always have my real camera right, with me? Right. Whereas there's a whole group of other photographers who aren't, you know, with a Leica necklace or some other, you know, they don't always have it. So of course they're going to turn to the thing in their pocket to make Whatever. a sketch yeah. of some kind. Yeah. Whereas I, why yeah. would I use that when I have this? It yeah, doesn't add up, yeah. you know, yeah. so... Um, but now I kind of, I interplay back and forth and inevitably, you know, so we'll see. Uh, sorry to let you guys know, but we haven't talked about chance or, <laughs> or anything yet. Um, I know that was a warm up. Uh, right? Let's start working on it. Well, we actually have been skirting on it. We and, just and, been around it. On that note, we are going to take a break. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. How about this? I mean, because you talked about your your lunch trips, and it was based on the fact of where you worked, and that's kind of lucky, I guess. Um, So do you embrace luck as part and parcel of what you do or or not? I mean, I go back and forth on this whole thing. I mean, of course, we embrace chance, but I don't – you know, there's games of chance. There's games of skill. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a game of skill, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, what we do. And yet, you know, uh, you know, blackjack is one that kind of, you know, there's a strategy. And maybe of all those types of games, you know, there's ways of of winning in roulette the same Mm -hmm. way there's ways of anybody eventually getting a good picture Mm -hmm. if they take enough and somebody can find it there. But doing this work day after day, you you need to know what you want. You Mm -hmm. can't just think it's going to happen and then... 
Um, well, so it's, but you, you know, also have to be open to that moment that does happen. Well, that's the thing. And that's why I say, I mean, we have our, you know, I think everybody has their lists of things that they think they're interested in, whether they literally write them down. I mean, I just saw this uh, uh, Diane Arbus show up at, at the Met, which I thought was fantastic, the installation, and also just seeing the early work, which was less about people and more about her learning how to look, you mm. know, and, and finding things that were a mirror back on her. And then you see how all of those ideas then get incorporated into the people she wants to look at later on. But I mean, everyone has these lists. You have to have an idea about something you want, but then you have to be willing to let that change and embrace whatever comes, you know? Um, and for me, the, that whole body of pictures I made in my lunch hour, I mean, some days I could sneak away for 15 minutes. Some days I could sneak away for two hours, but I knew I had to make something. That was what was, I had to press that button. I had to see something. I had to do what I could to organize things in this rectangle that would feel compelling to me. So it, Sometimes I've talked about it as, as it sort of made me uh, lower my expectation level and it made me elevate my sensitivity so that less and less of an event could be something that was significant, something that I was willing to say yes to, something mm -hmm. that could turn me on, excite me, make me feel creative and alive. Um, and that's where some of that chance comes in. Like how little does it take for you to, to say yes, you know? And here's the gift of seeing this, you know, they're moving a window over there, and now the light's reflecting and giving you this pull here, and it, there's a blue wall, and wouldn't it be beautiful if somebody walked by in yellow, and, and then you look left and you look right, and then the yellow person arrives, and then somebody else comes in. It's interesting again, and the city just sort of keeps reinventing itself, uh, and sort of it endlessly hits refresh, these corners, especially these mm -hmm. busy corners mm -hmm. oh, yeah. in Midtown. So, um, yeah, and being open to whatever's there. You know, so, I mean, I... I'm a, I'm a believer, you know, I believe in uh, chance and I participate in it, but I, but, you know, I always say that I make pictures, I don't take pictures, you know, I'm not picking up, a, I'm not, it's not, I got lucky and I found a nickel on the street, that's not the case. I agree, I think it's so much about being open to, like, this thing that we're calling chance, which I think isn't the perfect word for what we're talking about, um, Deanne Arbus, this is like one of my favorite quotes um, of hers and about photography in general, talks about photography as being a condition of being on the brink of conversion to anything. And I think that's the best way to put it. Photography makes you be present. It makes you be open to what might happen next. Because after all, I mean, photography stops time in a way that we don't experience um, because it just incessantly unravels. So we are trusting in the future moment, you know, saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take a leap of faith and think that this next one, 125th of a second is going to be special. So it's a hopeful exercise. Um, it's not really chance. It's trusting that the next something that comes up is interesting, worth your time. I don't know. Cause it's like the, 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 the person in the yellow dress coming through, you know, it might end up being a man in a red suit. And so you have to be like, actually, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer the man in the red, red suit <laughs> because he just yeah. came through. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it's such a lovely experience. And that's why photography is just the most wonderful like lifestyle to embody because it really teaches you about this is what life is. Mm -hmm. It's not predictable. You can't have expectations if you want to go through it with ease. And I think that's the same as a street photographer. You know, your so-called so so-called chance uh, like opportunities or um, encounters are really just about you, like sort of loving whatever it manifests into, if that makes sense. 
What percentage of your photographs would you say you actually had real control over of the finished results? Because looking at both of your work, a lot of it is just a moment that just happened to come into being and you were there to... Yeah, Yeah. that's it. But would you say that any of your photographs really are contrived? Well, that's you changed the word. <laughs> Controlled or contrived? Well, that's, that's it's my yeah, show. That's I could do what I want. Yeah, I know. So, which, which, what's the question? <laughs> no, sir, I mean, how much out of, out, of, out of all of your photographs, uh, I get the impression a lot of it is just that, again, you're very sensitive, you're very attuned, and, and you're waiting for this moment to happen, and you, and you actually capture it, and they're wonderful moments. Um, but how many of these particular moments, what percentage would be that you really, you made this happen as opposed to you were there to capture it as it happened. I feel extremely uh, proprietary and responsible. You do? Yeah, both for the successes and the failures. And, uh, you know, I'm recently, I've been slightly obsessed with this this term mise-en-scene, which is this idea that every element in, in on the stage mm-hmm. is telling part of the story, you know, whether it's the table, where the glasses, the wardrobe, the mm-hmm. hairstyle, all of that. And, you know, and th- these pictures that I've been trying to make recently want to sort of say that to a degree I'm applying a, a quality of mise-en-scene to this entire street scene mm-hmm. and that I'm on the hook for everything in it to be a part of the story where there was no story because I'm often trying to make these pictures where there's nothing significant going. It's a bunch of people walking towards me, away from me, left and right. But I, I try to have it be a frame that is compelling for some unknown reason that it seems to sort of drive some sort of story. That All the elements just fall into the right place where someone's going to go, ooh. But, you know, they're sometimes, I mean, for me, it's they're really built one at a time. I see one thing and then I apply another thing and I know that's going to stay the still. And I know, and then there's the blue dress, yellow dress thing. And then you take what can come. But, you know, and then you see, start to see the chewing gum and the little reflection that happens there. And then there's the, you know, the, the precision of the edges, you know. And, you know, again, I've been obsessed with these, you know, people seen head to toe. There's a whole bunch of things that are sort of fitting in with these recent pictures that I'm making. I want to say it's all mine. I, I made it and that it's... Mm-hmm. I'm on the hook for it all when it works and when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the flip side might be more sort of like I always think of sort of the Pulitzer Prize type photos from the, the you know, you look at the history of photography and all the things that have won those. And many of the, those are examples of chance. The guy who got there early. Ouija is an example who had this intuitive thing who got there. But he also was ready with his equipment and had his sensibilities and that was part of his thing. Um, what I'm trying to do recently is really uh, – is build something, you know, so I, 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 and it's something that I'm trying to make people think about with street photography in a different way, that it's not like you hit the button a lot and then something happens. It's like, well, no, really think about owning every single thing in that frame, mm-hmm. not just the one person you think is interesting and the thing, but what if all of it was significant? What if you were on the hook for all of it? And let's say, let's say there was a shot like that and, and, and there was an aspect of that frame that you didn't recognize at the time you, you pressed the, the shutter button. And of course there are, yeah. I mean, do you, do you, do you reject it then to some degree? Do oh, you, no, do you I own mean, it's, it just it's as a, much? It's or? space. It's, you know, you can't, you know, you also have to trust these sort of deep internal instincts too, mm-hmm. I feel like. I have this, uh, there's two things. One, there's this famous film editor, mm-hmm. uh, and he did this book called, I think it's called In the Blink of the Eye. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful book. Right? So it's this whole premise, you know, we're all editing life. We're blinking. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the sort of, it's the punctuation of our lives when we choose to sort of blink. And it's a little pause between things. It's the breath. Um, and there's this kind of biorhythms that are sort of acts of editing. And I think that that's a big part of photography too. You know when, when, when there are these moments when things are just a little bit riper than mm-hmm. other ones and that your body tells you something. So learning to listen to your body is a big part of what uh, 
I think any photographer does. So, the, but especially street photographers. Especially street photographers. And it's a type of training. It's like a really, and whether, I feel like you can almost take any great photographer. They had some passage in their life when they, you know, shortly after they took, finished taking their pictures of their sinks and they moved on to something else, they did street photography mm -hmm. at some point, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's a little bit of a training that gets applied in different ways. Um, so that, you know, there's this one photograph of mine that I call Paso Doble, and it's these two people facing each other in the middle of the street, and they're sort of in the middle distance. And I saw them up ahead, and I knew I was going to put them somewhere in the picture. So you start, you're, I'm moving towards it, and I'm looking for other elements to add to the frame, and then I take this, this single picture. Um, and when I looked at the print, in the middle of the picture, there was this cigarette tumbling in the middle of the frame, like mm. in the midair. I absolutely did not see that the guy had just flicked a cigarette. But I thought of this merch thing, and I thought, and having been a smoker then, you know, the, the moment when you choose to flick that cigarette, it, it's kind of, it's a piece of punctuation. Yeah. I mean, especially, it's a guy and a girl having a fight. You know, it was mm -hmm. like, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that thing, you know. Yeah. And that, that somehow I, there's one frame, that's all, and, and it, it's that tumbling, and I feel like that's that, uh, to me, it was sort of a tell of my body was intelligent and I needed to listen to it. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, that's that thing. And when I'm, when I'm teaching, I tell students, you gotta press the button. You gotta keep trying. Don't overthink it sometimes. You have to sketch. It's a big thing that I talk about. It's like, you know, painters are allowed to have sketches and great paintings. Photographers are allowed to have great photographs and lousy photographs. Yeah. That's good point. <laughs> the reality is all those lousy photographs are sketches. They're elements that will come into play later. And that if you're learning to appreciate what, what works in your own bad mm -hmm. photographs as sketches and how you can improve upon it, mm -hmm. I think is a really important I agree lesson, more. you know, and learning how to edit too is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like this topic is so important, the one of chance, because it's it really gets at why photography is hard for people to understand the talent behind photography or the skill behind it, especially now when it's easier than ever to make like a correctly exposed image, because it's really, like we don't have, you can't see like a painter's paintbrushes on the canvas and you, and you look at the scale of the painting and you understand, wow, that must have taken a long time. And you see, you know, you see their marks. With photographers, you don't see any of that. You just see a resulting photo. So you don't know how they got it, what skill they applied to, to make it happen. So it's really, I, I love this whole like discussion of, of it because I feel like it gets at what's misunderstood about mm -hmm. photography and also mm -hmm. what is so just amazingly beautiful about the medium. It is, it's very elusive. Mm -hmm. It's about energy on a level that we can't see and it's about trust and hope and being sensitive and being open and I just, you know, for me, it's mm -hmm. just been so fulfilling. It's such a, a beautiful experience. Gus, I think your example of the cigarette flying and, and this unspoken related energy that goes between you and your subjects or the moment, that's a perfect example of that. I, I mean, and I, I do believe that you felt the conversation between them and that moment. And even if you didn't see the cigarette flying, your finger might have knew it. You know? We're animals. Yeah. You know, and we relate to each other in space that way. I mean, that's why even talking about what you wear and just, you know, again, going back to this, I was working with a group of students recently on the street and uh, one of them, he was fantastic because he was so passionate and he was so eager to make these pictures, but he was leaping at everything. He mm. would see something that excitement, he would jump <laughs> right at it and, and, they would, and like pigeons, they would fly away, fly away <laughs> and get spooked. You know, it didn't matter. And, but, but what was so beautiful is you could just tell it was that he, he just... 
his heart just wants these things so mm. bad. And it was like the biggest thing was telling him, you know what, just walk, walk to the girl. Don't run, you know, mm-hmm. and just, and just, it's not going to go away as quickly as, as you think, you yeah. know, but that. And what uh, a beautiful life experience, right? It teaches you how to live, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't just go pick all the flowers. Mm. Like go up and smell them first right. and then <laughs> pick one, you know. It's so beautiful. Let her come to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gus, let's come back to our original question we have for Amy. What, what is your beginnings to all of this? How'd you get into this racket of photography? I grew up in New York, and uh, my father was a filmmaker, and my mother was a fashion designer, so there was very much, it was a re- really a visual family. Uh-huh. And um, my father was very generous about letting me use his equipment. Uh, he loved equipment, too, everything about it, just getting the next thing, you know, and whether it was for film or photography, whatever. So I, you know, I sort of, my beginnings were with a Polaroid SX-70, you know, mm. low perspective of a, you know, whatever, five-year-old, four-year-old mm. looking up at uh, his family and his own world and his cat and whatever. Um, so that was sort of just the presence of cameras, you know, the, the, you know, now everyone has the thing in their pocket that we're all taking pictures. Everyone's a photographer, but I actually, it was very much the cameras were around going to the lab, dropping off film. All of that was something that was familiar to me. So there was that side, but sometimes I think about it, it's sort of beginning even earlier that for me, my pleasures in New York were walking around New York. And I remember being a kid walking around my mother and this sort of taking pleasure in the city and mm-hmm. just pointing at things and mm-hmm. talking about what was interesting. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's even that same finger, you know, like the, before there was photography, there was this finger. finger. That's, that, <laughs> that's how you took a picture, you know, like, look at that, you know, or look at that. That's you know? an interesting that's point. You know? It's and, true. And even like when you meet people like, you know, they're like, they hear you, they're like, oh, well, you should take a picture of that, you know, and it's just that it comes out. So it's just that finger. Um, so there was that process of, 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 of appreciating the, the, the city itself, you know, things that were beautiful, things in windows, all of that. And then the next phase for me is I got obsessed with collecting trash, like flattened items that I would find on the streets of New York, a flattened oh, hubcap, a, present a for you. flattened glove. A present Work for you. gloves are amazing. They're gorgeous, right? right? So I kept coming, coming home with these things, these things that used to be three-dimensional that became one-dimensional. Yeah. And I had a three-drawer dresser, and the top drawer was all hats, and <laughs> the middle drawer was clothes, and the bottom was all of this... My archive, mm-hmm. you know, um, and my mother was very kind, you know, and encouraging. But at a certain point to me, she said, you know, it's great to collect, but uh, you need to now learn how to become a curator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, like real New York, you know, what <laughs> experience, like only, like only in New York would your mother tell like the eight year old that he's got to become a curator. <laughs> but, but I kind of understood because we would, you know, I thought the Metropolitan Museum was my weekend home. We would mm-hmm. go there every week. I, under, I got the idea like, OK, you don't need to keep all these gloves. Keep the best ones. You acquire a new one, like yeah. update the collection, right. Right, deaccession. Right right, right, right. So there was that practice, um, which, again, was out in the street, public life. But then I started, uh, you know, making pictures. That just happened as another way to go out into the world and to bring things back. You know, and I would shoot slides and give them to my dad, and then he'd come back with the slide film. And, and so that was sort of this next version of pointing a finger, collecting objects, bringing them home, and it was more efficient. And slowly I just I started taking pictures of people too. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know about street photography. I didn't know that there was this – so it was just sort of – what I did. I think if I grew up in a different place, I would have taken pictures of trees and butterflies and all that. But that's mm-hmm. just what happened. Um, I was fortunate enough, though, to be in city in, in, in this city and to be around cultural institutions. And, and this is about y- your early I was, teens? Yeah, or, well, or yeah. And it was really like in uh, high school when I started to sort of get in a little deeper mm-hmm. and, and really, uh, you know, like I, I, I say, I used to go to the Met all the time. And then there was a moment when I 
I ventured to the Museum of Modern Art, and it was right. like the next phase. And, yeah. and you know, I can, I, I, to a certain degree, I can still replay what was the permanent photography collection for a long time. Yeah. But having encountered those images, uh, not on my phone, not on a screen, not even in a book, but as actual prints mm -hmm. on the wall, is mm -hmm. a real mm -hmm. gift to to have encountered those. And then a, a godfather gave me a copy of Winogrand's uh, book that was the you know from the last show that happened shortly after his death. Mm -hmm. um, and it just sort of kept, I didn't, again, like I didn't even necessarily know the territory I was going in, but that's just what was there. And mm -hmm. then, and then um, I went to college, thought I'd be a start, I went to Oberlin out in Ohio, I thought I'd be a studio art major, began down that path, didn't like the art students so much, but uh, <laughs> kept taking these religion classes, small mm -hmm. religion classes, comparative religion classes, and the reality was these students were way more creative than the ones in the studio art program. Interesting. So I ended up graduating, you know, as a comparative religion major, studio art minor, and uh, came to New York, tried to be an assistant to in the photo world. But, you know, again, it was sort of anybody who I wanted to work with didn't need anybody. You know, mm -hmm. I remember sort of meeting with some sort of the magnum kind of photojournalism kind of world. Um, had a, a couple of good moments. I was like a third assistant, auditioning third assistant for Hero, which was a kind of a great mm -hmm. uh, moment for me. Uh, and that when that didn't, and well, it was like I felt like uh, it was a gift to sort of go to the next thing, mm. which was a, a great moment. And then, uh, and then I started working in publishing. I got this sort of break, uh, very randomly, where I uh, I was looking for a job. I was working as a production assistant in film and video and and all that kind of stuff. And then I saw that the Tricycle Magazine was uh, had an opening, which was this Buddhist publication. I knew they would at least give me an interview because of a religion major, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I go. We have a nice meeting. They're like, it's a $12,000 a year to sit at the desk. It's like, okay, that's not going to work out. But, you know, they mentioned they were working on an issue about anger and they needed photographs for it and they were having a hard time finding them. And I was like, I can probably find some pictures. And so that was sort of my beginning as a photo editor was finding. And it also kind of coupled with p personal knowledge of sort of religion and history and the history of photography and all these sort of fine art archives. So that was this sort of random photo gig I did doing photo research for that issue. And then somehow I just got, I got very lucky. I mean, that's just in some mm -hmm. ways, maybe chance plays a bigger role in my life uh, than it does in my photography. Right. And I think in any creative person, you know, chance plays large, but it's how you respond to chance, right? The same way with photography too. There's these gifts, but if you can't accept them and you're mm -hmm. not ready for them, they're just going to go away. Um, I'm making this bio terribly long. <laughs> we'll it. Yeah, you'll cut it right down. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I managed to uh, get an interview at the New Yorker magazine to be the assistant to Elizabeth Biondi, who was the visuals editor, lead photo editor there. And I had a, a really good meeting with her, but uh, she, you know, was to be her assistant. She said, "I like you, but uh, I look at that desk. You're not going to stay at that desk. You're not going to stay at that. I need someone who will stay there. You're not going to stay there. We'll do something else." Uh. So there, I was like, "Okay, that's nice. I'll go back to Brooklyn." And didn't have a job, but I felt encouraged. Yeah. And then she ended up having me come in to be to sort of cover as a photo researcher, photo editor, and then that kept going. And then uh, I did that for four and a half, five years or so, mm -hmm. on and off. And then amidst all that, I was photographing on the street. Right. Still not really certain about what I was doing, but I was fortunate enough to meet Joel Meyerowitz, and he became a real mentor mm -hmm. to me. And I had shown him some of my pictures, and he really encouraged me with what I was doing. Uh, and there was a, a real mentorship and a friendship there. That's wonderful. And, uh, and then also amidst that, this Frank O'Hara book arrived in my mailbox, which was this book of poems of this New York poet that he had written on his lunch hour, more or less in the same neighborhood in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And that became this totem and license for me to sort of 
there's enough to work with just around here on my lunch hour, on the way to work to feel something, see something, and make a body of work. Mm -hmm. And then also being encouraged by Joel Meyerowitz and others by just the nature of the, the pictures I was making. It sort of kept me going. And then I had a steady job that was really amazing too. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was uh, working at the New Yorker was really my grad school. I didn't go to grad school, but that was absolutely like my grad school. Mm -hmm. The things I got to read and who I worked with and the peers I still have. And, and is it fair to say that that association with Meyerowitz and other encouragement toward artistic street photography maybe kept you away from looking at other aspects of photography or, or were you not even interested really? No, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think it just, uh, the same way I feel a kindred spirit with Amy about the positivity of embracing the world and smiling at things as you encounter them. That was something I saw with, uh, with Joel, and it was just this. This, this is a, these are the types of people who I have an affinity, mm -hmm. who not only you know look at the world and smile at it and say yes to it, but they also make these beautiful images and are trying to sort mm -hmm. of. But was there ever a, a moment where you were trying to decide, well, am I going to become a photojournalist or am I going to work in straight art photography oh, yeah, or that, document, like today. documentary? Yeah, like today. I'm still okay. trying to figure still, that. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. but uh, no, I mean, again, you explore everything. You know that I, I knew I wanted to make these. You know these types of pictures, and then I tried to find ways to make a living okay. doing it. And I stayed in that publishing scene for a while doing editing and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I was lucky enough to have other mentors. There was a wonderful photographer named Peter Cunningham, and I would collaborate with him uh, on some more commercial projects, uh, doing these elaborate slideshows that were also very poetic and personal, but they had a commercial quality that made it possible to leave the magazine mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. go out on my own. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, what we still keep trying to do, to have the balance of personal work, you know, to try to do books and shows and this, to find ways that uh, some of the skills that you reveal in th those personal projects can then be applied to financial, mm -hmm. uh, commercial projects. You know, so I do work for magazines and I do commercial work, which I really enjoy because it's, uh, I have skin in it, but I also, it's different parts of the body. You know, like yeah. we were talking about how, it's how, how aggressive or, you know, and aggressive it's too big, but how... Uh, how persistent will I be about making something? When I'm when it's my you know capital J job and I'm there to do it, I work in a slightly different way, and then you deliver it, and then you move on to the next thing. And I, I really enjoy working with people and solving problems like that too. So it's uh, I enjoy commercial work. I enjoy working for magazines. Do you get yourself involved as because you're very emotionally involved in the pictures? You're both very emotionally involved in the pictures you take. Do you get that same connection doing commercial work, or do you have to shift your head a little bit? I mean, I I do get it. You know, it's. Uh, it's very different when you're out by yourself making the pictures and you are the, the editor, the art director, the believer, the non-believer. And the client. The, the, and the client and the critic. Um, so that whole sort of just, you know, I'm an only child, so I, I, I can survive having all those heads, voices speak to each <laughs> other on their own for a while and, and keep moving forward. And then I also reach out and you have a community of people you work with. But I think what I like most about doing projects with others, sometimes it's literally what you're doing what you're making, hopefully, right. but more often than not, it's the people you're working with, and that I really enjoy working with people. I mean, this is there's you throw a rock in this town, you hit one photographer, and there's going to be five other photographers around them taking, taking pictures a picture of, of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. camera <laughs> that's available. So you know, you want to be somebody that people want to spend some time with, and uh, and you want to like you know get something done together, and that's what I really love about collaborating. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like people are so creative also in these fields too, but often, you know, the nature of, uh, the creativity has to be channeled and tamed to mm -hmm. some degree. Um, so that, that rope-a-dope, that dialogue back and forth of let's, let's, what if this, what if that? And then no, you need to calm down. No, you calm down. Well, what about that? <laughs> that all of that is fun. It's exciting. Sure. And, uh, and, and it's hopefully a stark contrast to the personal 
experience. Absolutely. And it, you kind of need that equilibrium. I really do. I mean, I, I'm finding it more and more that I'm uh, craving more and more interaction and more of that collective problem solving and more of those uh, encounters. Because mm-hmm. as you, you talked about this, even the, you know, painting could have been a solitary path for you. Writing could be a solitary, but still photography is also solitary. You're out there, you're meeting these people every day and you're having what are very intense interactions. It's an intense thing to, even if you don't talk to them, I feel, uh, you know, I just saw like 30 of my pictures, like go up in my, there's these people that are a part of my life because mm-hmm. I've made photographs of mm-hmm. them because I've had this thing that happened back and forth. They might not even be aware of it, but they're not, you know. Have you had the moment where you, you'll see somebody that you've taken a photo of oh, and then yeah. you see them in the street a year or so later and yeah, you yeah, want to talk to them and you want to, and they're like, well, they would have no idea, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, well, there's, there's a guy, I have this one picture of, uh, of a woman who's kind of pretty much passed out on the steps sleeping of uh, the New York Public Library. And, you know, you could go up and just take a picture of her, but that's like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. So, and you know she's not going to go anywhere. So you put her on the side of the frame and you see what else happens. And I sort of stayed there. And then uh, this gentleman uh, came out looked great suit and he's sort of standing there and then all of a sudden some these other people sort of crisscrossing and I made this picture that's these sort of three people that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with each other but now there's some kind of narrative and I've shown that picture in many many places and I've seen that guy uh, and he's always over a decade I've seen him at different times mm-hmm. in that same neighborhood because mm-hmm. he obviously works there and it's just I was like I wonder if he knows that right. Uh, right. I showed a picture of him in Africa and huh. you know it's not that he's a star but it's that uh, yeah. he's a part of this I mean this is this thing I do feel like I'm trying to make stories and he's uh, he's in a story that's just out there, and it's not uh, you know it's not a bad story. It's a, it's almost a non-story. Yeah. It's so you know these pictures are so simple, and but uh, there's something there. So yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it makes me happy sometimes when I see these. There's also moments too when you see uh, somebody recently revealed to me that there's a, a a photograph I have of these two women smoking outside of a building, and one of them is a slightly older woman tucked deep in the corner, and she's wearing all red, and then. Uh, one of Paul Graham's recent books, he had that same corner, and she's there, like oh, across, yeah. across the street, <laughs> smoking in the same spot, wearing red. Right. You know, but it's like <laughs> nine years later. You know, like again, all of us who go out all the time, like there's certain people that we all like. You know, there's these magical days. There's always like I feel like there's an opening day of the season when like the weather finally gets warm too, and everybody's just kind of like like this year it was a, a Tuesday. I remember it like, and I remember texting the other friends like, "Are you out? Wow, <laughs> where are you? Like, oh, 14th or 34th." And uh, and then you kind of see each other, and you you look out at the city, and it's like it's all for us. Yeah. It's all just <laughs> happening, you know. And you kind of even maybe you'll talk to somebody else who's shooting, but you can see the way they're holding their camera that they're participating. Uh, Mm-hmm. in the world and you think that you're in like you know New York street photography world right, you know right, like right, how right. did we get a ticket to this <laughs> and also there's been this very much a shift too I feel like 10 years ago the word street photography meant one thing and was known by X amount of people now it's known by so Everybody. many more people but yeah, we it means right. something very different mm-hmm. what does it mean we were, we were talking about this a little earlier what is it uh, my mm-hmm. feeling if I take it at it's sort <clears> of like the, the most uh squashed, compressed, common level, it Mm -hmm. actually has a lot more to do with street fashion. It's a vertical picture of somebody who looks interesting on the street. And uh, I even sense sometimes that if I'm walking down the street with my camera and there's somebody who looks kind of interesting, they think I might be approaching them to take a picture because that's the dialogue that happens. Mm -hmm. And um, and even when I'll tell – but that's – there's this kind of – it's it's often – it has a lot to do with sort of the street portrait – of somebody who's an interesting character. 
and that's not necessarily what it's. You know, it's a flawed term too. It's like yeah. a street. You know, they don't. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I do water photography. Cause <laughs> so. Um, so, Amy, and this is again <laughs> trying to get back to the, the theme of the show to some degree. When when you're shooting with your Raleigh Flex and and you have a limited amount of, of frames before you need to change, and uh, I'm assuming you approach each shutter release a little differently. Um, well, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, do you will you shoot a handful of, of shots of somebody or a group of people, or do you just want I, to get I just the one? take two. Two. I give. Um, I usually let them take the first image to pose themselves, right. and then if I want something different, then I'll give them direction for that, mm-hmm. and that will be my second frame. And then, as a rule, I just always let them go, mm-hmm. um, and that's really worked because mm-hmm. it's a very intentional process um and so i i often will get it in those two frames Mm -hmm. and yes you know there are only 12 frames on my roll so that's six six subjects right there um and it's money and it's you know but um it it really helps actually to not have this exorbitant like amount of outtakes to look at it's just and the the quality that i get in return is so much higher than, say, on my iPhone, where yeah. I shoot willy-nilly because yeah. I can. Yeah. And because that's part of what's so lovely about the iPhone yeah. is to have that freedom. It's like our sketch. And do you do both in, in the same outing? Will you, you, yeah, yeah, I'll have my Roloflex in my left hand and my phone <laughs> in my right. I mean, only because it's tugging at my, yeah. at my neck. Yeah. But I just, yeah, because, yeah. you know, different situations call for different things but mm-hmm. mostly if my roloflex is with me i'm i've i'm there for a reason and i try not to take the candid mindset. shots yeah. yeah because it's a, it's a very distinct time for me whereas i always have my iphone i'm always photographing mm-hmm. throughout my life so mm-hmm. but one thing i wanted to say about this like notion of chance is that something that i focus on a lot and and the main reason i became a photographer was to get a better understanding of life there are some huge questions that loom, and one of the things I feel like I know for sure, and you know, science proves, is that this life runs on cause and effect. And it, when I really take that notion and apply it on even the most minuscule level, I can use that to increase my so-called chances of getting a better photo- a mm-hmm. photograph or luck, because you can embody what you're looking for even if you're not it yet it's not like quite faking it until you make it but you can put out that call in your own way and I think that sort of understanding can help you as a street photographer not just be like sensitive and open to the next thing that's going to happen but actually call for it yeah 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 and you know can I like close my eyes and just like make a gust of wind come through this image so this person's hair looks... <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> you know, it's not that direct. And I think that's why this notion trips people up and that people don't believe in cause and effect mm-hmm. in a way. It's much more complicated than that. And I think you just have to... Um, well, I should say for me as a street photographer, it's a tool that I use to um, to make my images, to to look with open eyes around me and to quite frankly, like live an easeful life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have the most beautiful life. I can't even tell you. The people who allow me to photograph them, I mean, it brings me to tears. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's like, uh, I, the, the other day, this Mexican family, mother, father, three children, 
I'm in Bed-Stuy and I ask them if I can take their picture and they say yes. Wow. You have no idea how much this means to me. I'm going to be able to stare at this family. Mm. I really love families. Mm -hmm. I love group portraits because they just say more than a singular person. There's a, a lot of depth there in a photograph and yeah, especially families. So um, other, other instances where I know people just don't like their pictures taken and they'll do it for me, I can tell. It's just I'm like beyond thankful mm -hmm. for them to allow me. Are you good about mem remembering faces of the people you photographed? Do you Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. But do you, do you but take names and send things or only if they would like to. Yeah. You know, I you try don't bring to, it up. If they, they ask and then you oblige. Exactly. Them. And I would love to send them a picture. But to be honest, like most people don't ask for my card. Most people don't ask what I'm even up to, to my surprise. And that's continued to be the situation ever since I started on the street 15 years ago. Um, so. Sounds like it was a pretty good decision you made in 2001 to. It's to so go this weird way. that such an utter tragedy for the entire world yielded one of the three best things that ever happened to me in my life. I think about it a lot. Mm -hmm. I think about it a lot because my connection to photography is so pure. It has so much to do with the fact that, you know, if I were to pass away tomorrow, I'd have absolutely no regrets. Yeah. And that was the whole point of finding what I should do with my life. Like, that's why it, it, it felt so dire. and Pretty bold. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like a, just a little camera, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Big heart. If you'd like to reach out to us with your questions or comments, email us at podcast at bhphoto.com. We didn't even ask really what, what your, your yeah, general setups what you are. What, what do you use? What, uh, so, I mean, it all started with the, with a, my dad's uh, Canon F. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the first thing with a pyramid and, and no light meter, and I had a Luna 6 and a light meter of his, so that was what I used in the beginning. And I, I started by shooting all chromes because that was just sort of what Dad said to shoot with, and, uh, and which, of course, was challenging because either you're on or you're off. and those No two, room for error. Yeah, or, or, or the errors, you have to accept them as yes. part of the experience for whatever that's worth, you know. Um, and also just, you know slide projectors and dust in the air mm -hmm. and that smell and all that stuff. And then, uh, so I used that for a long time. And then I, I, I with a 50 and then with a 35, and then uh, I had a, a window with a, a Roloflex for a while, which was, a, I mean, I immediately got much closer to people. I really did that thing. You know, it's the physical thing. Again, I'm 6'5", I can't really hide, but older people knew what I was doing because they were familiar with the camera. But, you know, I was out at 57th and 5th, and you could go three feet away from Buddy, and because your head was facing down, Makes a big difference. It looks no, like you're yeah. like looking at your shoes or yeah. something, you know. Um, and I, I have some black and white work from that. And then eventually, I, I, I was able to. I got a like an M6. We were talking about Ken Hansen and these places and all this. So I, that that happened, and uh, and I used that for a really long time. I used to shoot all chromes, and and you know that book, the the Company of Strangers, which is you know this also called my lunch pictures. It's like all like six different film types, all that. But the 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 best moments for me, the most uh, fulfilling parts of it were when I was shooting slides because mm. I would shoot slides and then at the end of the day when the light was gone, I'd go to the lab, I'd drop off uh, the film. Either I'd pick up the film from the day before or if everything was running right and it was all E6, then I would go linger for 40 minutes and then pick up the film from that same day, go home to Brooklyn 
and put it in the slide projector and put it up on the wall and mm. look at that day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was just amazing, you know, that whole thing, you know, and you'd see what worked and didn't work and that it was there. It was big, you know what I mean? Like, was that, was, did that camera or is there one camera that uh, that kind of brought things together for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, again, the, the virtues of this, you know, the Leica rangefinder are very specific. It's, it's small, it's unintimidating, and I, you know, I shoot with my right eye, so my... The majority of my face is out in the world. I open that eye. I smile. I'm very present, um, and it's small. And it, it there's reasons why it it really does work for this type of work. Um, then, as commercially, everything shifted to digital. I mean, what was happening was great. As I would got jobs, and that was all happening, I would be able to keep sort of. I'd go to print for something. I was go to the lab to print something for an editorial job, and then I would stay three more hours, four more hours, and print my personal work. But then everything shifted to digital. And um, and then I started working with the Mamiya 7 a lot because I sort of thought I was going to make these sort of larger format versions of what I was doing in the street. But the nature of the equipment is different. You know, the subjects needed to be farther away. Hyperfocal distance is a big part of how I work in the street and how I was using that camera too. So everything started getting farther and farther away. And I started making these different types of pictures that had a different feeling to them. And they weren't, weren't in New York. That first body of work was all New York, Midtown, and mm-hmm. sort of... Uh, the glue of it was the the limitations of time and space that I had, you know, and it just happened to be in New York. So in some ways, it, it, and, it, and it's in New York in the same time window, you know, 99 to 2003. So it actually, it, we'll see how it patinas in that form, you mm-hmm. know, uh, as it goes down the road. So then I shifted and used the Mamiya 7 for all, which I liked in this, the second book, which just came out last year. It, you know, the pictures span a decade, uh, if not more. And those are very different types of pictures. And while that was happening, I was shooting all digital 35. Uh, and then I, I, the street practice in some ways atrophied to some degree because it was replaced by what I was doing with the Mamiya, which was a different way of working. Um, and then uh, I finally committed to using the Canon for a while with uh, I love that little pancake 40 lens, mm-hmm. um, which then I got the better Voigtlander one, which was also good. But the uh, it's just great little lens and it made the camera all of a sudden I could wear you know we talked about clothes but how you wear the camera there's these different allegiances I remember uh, you know walking down the street once with uh, with Joel and he taught me to wear the camera on my right arm with the lens facing and that's how you you know you it's like the wild west you reach there and you <laughs> and, and there it is and then you bring it right yeah. to your eye and then we passed uh Mermelstein and uh, Gildan and they you know they kind of do more than the necktie you know like mm-hmm. they're up in here <laughs> and it was like you know and mm-hmm. we kind of gave each other a head nod. it was like these different styles of you know because it is it's a physical thing too and how you make the camera kind of disappear or do you have it at the ready there and and um and and so I used that cannon with that pancake and I started uh shooting digitally on the street and committing to that for a while and I did that and then recently I just uh uh, visited the B&H used department in December and uh, got this uh, like a MP240, which I'm enjoying. But it's there's a, a, a bit of a pendulum swing. I'm you know I'm definitely not. I was away from rangefinder photography for long enough that some of the skills that were very sharp before atrophied and they're having to return. And I'm accepting the loss of certain types of pictures too. There's also the fact that I I've in the I've got a five year old and a three year old. So my preferred focal distance for my personal work is 12 feet, but I never thought I would take so many pictures at 12 inches <laughs> before. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, autofocus on the back, you know, with the kids. And again, I have work that, that's for my wife and the mother-in-law, and then I have a whole other set of pictures that are kind of for me that I might do something with. Uh, this, the rangefinder is not as accommodating for that type of work, but I'm accepting mm-hmm. that. Um, but I'm enjoying the... 
in some ways, even though it's digital, because of the working methods, it, it, it's not as uh, confining or limiting as 12 frames on a Rolleiflex, but it, it, it is to some degree. It requires to, to really say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm not going to be as lazy as I could just be by, you know, working with one hand and a little back focus button. And uh, and I'm, I'm appreciating that because it's just making me commit a little bit deeper. So, so you have all of these... I'm not, I hate using the word limitations. Parameters is a better word, and you both work with certain parameters and visually. And we talk about uh, capturing a moment, and sometimes that moment is a fraction of a second. Um, and then you have the limitations of the lens, what it sees, what it doesn't see. Are either one of you opposed to cropping pictures? Because sometimes, I'm, I happen to be big on that, and sometimes, again, I go out like you guys do, and I'll grab pictures, and I see something, and I grab it, but obviously the lens might have been too wide or something was off-center because it happened so quickly, and I'll go in and I'll crop it to get it the way I want it to be. What's your take on that? Do you, Some people you know, look at me like Satan when I use that crop word. I crop with my iPhone because that's what it offers. I don't crop with my film photography. Mm -hmm. I think that's just an old habit, um, and obviously I can crop that after I scan the negative and in Photoshop, I can crop it, but I don't. I stay really true to to the the limitation or the, you know the frame. Um, but with my iPhone, I mean that's what makes it so fun. It's going in there and making it the picture you wanted to make. Amy, you when, when you out the Rolleiflex, you take more than one roll of film, or is there just uh, oh yeah? Do you I, give I make a sure I have plenty. Okay, okay. I always bring more. Okay. You know. Do you ever reject a photo? If you like a photo because it it wasn't the photo you thought it was going to be? No, that's like the whole art of photography, in my opinion, after making the photo. It's having the open mind as an editor to choose the one that really worked instead of the one that you were going for. The one that you thought would work, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's why being an editor of your own work is so important. Yeah. Um, and that's also and why... Yeah, and diffi difficult. super difficult. The and, part, but it's yeah. the same notion of being open. Like, mm -hmm. This is why this medium is just phenomenal, because it's, it's about openness. At mm -hmm. least street photography is, because it's so much about harnessing reality, if that's the right word. I completely agree with you, and I feel like the, the days that have been the best days of editing for me are when I'm able to approach my contact sheets as if they were the street themselves, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, rather than looking at them as these failed or approximated, you know, incarnations of things that I thought was happening. But I'll have these little windows when I just see it as this thing there, and I'm open-hearted again. And Because like, you also you don't know. I mean, I used, I used to have this thing where when uh, – very much pre-digitally when I would go out and shoot at the end of the day, I, in my notebook, I would draw these little rectangles of the pictures I remembered taking that I thought were significant, wow. you know? And then you'd get the film back and you, and then every once in a while that, there it was. It was kind of yeah. great, you know? And then, but or mostly it wasn't. Mostly, if not right? always, it wasn't. And right. also it's, it's the, uh, it's the, the in-between times too, you know? That's the thing where like, you know, okay, I, you know, cause I'll often work at one place for a while, but then some other little thing will happen that you sink your teeth into for a, 125th of a second or for a minute and a half and then you go back to the other the main event and because you didn't think about it much it's not what you're looking for when you get the the work back or when you're coming to the big screen but exactly. then you look and it's like there's really something there or like something you you took it during the light test ends up being the portrait mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and you're like fishing it out of the garbage can <laughs> that was it you know there's no shame in that i think no. that's that's just about being a good photographer yeah. and and not having ego basically mm. i mean not that you that you return to a spot. If you, let's say you say you walk by something and you, and you missed it, you think you missed the shot that you wanted. Will you come back? Will you? Oh sure. Will you I mean, wait? I go back to places all the time. I yeah. mean, uh, 
that's the the gift of like being in this town for so long too. I mean, there's pictures that I know I've made on certain corners that I try to repeat myself, even to a fault. But it's mm-hmm. almost the exercise of of the calisthenics. You know, mm-hmm. like let's just limber up and try to make that, you know, another one of those blue wall pictures that I've made way too many of. (laughs) Then we'll see if we can see something new. That's a good way to say it. Um, Because you do, you have to sort of, you know, it's like you get out the door and you got to start doing it. Because if you just like hold back for too long, then sometimes you just, you know, and then you do the first one and the second one and then all of a sudden something's happening and then it's like you're up on the board and it's happening. You know, I mean, for me, my favorite part of being a photographer is making the pictures. (laughs) Agreed. It's being out there with the camera at my eyes and looking through that rectangle, you know, that's when I'm the most excited about the work. Having to deal with it afterwards and all these other things and find the good ones and the bad ones and defend them or protect them or publish them, that's amazing too. But just looking through that thing is is the gift for me. And with those words, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Gus. Thanks to John and Jason, our producers. More of Gus's work can be found at GusPowell.com, and his exhibition, The Lonely Ones, continues to travel internationally and will be on view at the Mutti Gallery in Italy in November. He's also going to be teaching a street photography workshop in New York with fellow in-public member, and I'm going to get this name right, Haralampos Kedonicus on September 16th through 18th. You can learn more about this and register for it at inpublic.com slash street Dash photography dash workshops. More of Amy's work can be found at amytouchette.com and look for her street photography in an upcoming issue of Painted Bright Quarterly from Drexel University. She's also having a 2017 exhibition of her street dailies at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And needless to say, more from both of these wonderful photographers can be found on Instagram. Take a moment and give us your opinions on Twitter at BHPhotoVideo with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast. And please rate and leave a review on iTunes. As usual, thank you so much for joining us today. 